Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz did it again. This time, they blow out the Los Angeles Lakers. They got that lead up over 20. They took a commanding lead in the second quarter, blew the game wide open in the third quarter. The fourth quarter was all garbage time. It was a really solid performance from the Jazz. You know, for the Lakers, for their part, they're clearly shorthanded. They're missing Anthony Davis, their second-best player. They're missing another key player, a starter, and Dennis Schroeder. So they're clearly shorthanded, and they're clearly struggling. They'd lost four out of five. Now they lost five out of six. Uh, but the Jazz, for their part, didn't let up. They played well right from the get-go. They barely trailed in the game. It was a close game at the end of one quarter, but the Jazz blew it wide open in that second quarter and had the double-digit lead at halftime and pushed the lead over 20 in the third quarter. It was a really good performance by them. Had the had the floor spread. They were passing the ball, making the extra pass, getting open shots, and they were making them. Six for 12 from the three-point line in the first quarter. And uh, there was a lot of garbage time at the end of this game. The fourth quarter just didn't matter. So the Jazz are now 22-2 and in their last 24 games. And they pick up a game on the Lakers in the standings. They also picked up a game on fourth place Phoenix. The Suns got beat by Charlotte, and uh, they did not get a call at the end of the game. Booker uh, had a big shot at the end of the game, and man, the replays, I thought hey, I thought Gordon Hayward clearly fouled him. Now, you know, slow-mo replay got the advantage of that, but oof. He's an all-star now. He didn't get that call. Conley did not get the AD slot in the all-star game. We'll have to see if somebody gets hurt here in the next week. Another slot opens up. It happens sometimes. Other years, everybody stays healthy. We'll just have to see if it plays out. But AD slot goes to Booker. And uh, Booker had a big game. Made a bunch of great plays. Scored a bunch of points. Made a bunch of great passes. But uh, I thought he got fouled at the end of the game and no call. So... Uh, and then the other big news for the Jazz, and we'll have to see how this plays out, but Elijah Millsap, former Jazz player, uh, tweeted out that in 2015, in the season-ending exit interviews they do, that Dennis Lindsay uh, made a racial remark to him. Uh, you know, one more word out of you. This is according to the tweet, and you can see it in Millsap's uh, Twitter profile if you go in there. Uh, one more word out of you, and I'll send your black ass back to Louisiana. That's what he tweeted out. Uh, Dennis has issued multiple uh, denials saying uh, that he never said this. Categorically denies it. Quinn Snyder was asked about it after the game. You'll hear that coming up later this hour. And Quinn said he doesn't remember that. I mean, it was 2015. You're not going to remember every player exit interview, I guess. Uh, But he said that, um, you know, he just can't really fathom Dennis saying something like that. Uh, Rudy Gobert got asked about it. He was the only player asked in the post game. Uh, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell weren't with the team in 2015, but Rudy was, and Rudy pointed out that he was actually fairly closely with Elijah, and he had never heard this story before. Uh, he said he was going to reach out to Elijah to learn more. He said it was hard to comment without more information. Um, so he kind of left it there. Um, and you'll hear Rudy's response. It's me paraphrasing. You'll hear Rudy's response later in the hour. All right, we're going to take a break right now. And uh, when we come back, Tiger Woods' future, uh, Brian Taylor, with a great story about Tiger's legendary competitiveness, uh, which you know should serve him well because it's going to be a huge test. He's been, he's been hurt really badly. Um, so we'll see where it goes with his rehab. But we'll talk with Brian about that and then the Jazz Post game coming up after that. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in Brian Taylor. You hear him on Real Golf Radio every Saturday morning here on the Zone Sports Network. BT, good morning. Good morning, guys. We usually talk to you around the majors, and we will do that with the Masters coming up, but uh, major golf news here with Tiger Woods and the uh, the one-car wreck. And I, I think the thing we all thought, and I assume you thought it too, when you saw the the, either the video or the still pictures of the car, it's just it's a good thing he survived this. Before we get to the golf, we need to acknowledge that. Uh, without a doubt. You know, I mean, it's always disturbing to hear news like this. You know, we've, we've heard of Tiger Woods, um, you know, news of, of involving traffic incidents in the past. And it's, um, it's always a, you know, it's always a, a, an unnerving thing. You know, I mean, one day you're doing a, you know, you're hosting a tournament on the PGA Tour and doing an interview with Jim Nance talking about uh, hoping to come back and be ready for the Masters. And the next thing, you know, you hear about a car accident that uh, is severe and that he's in surgery and and uh, you don't know, right? And uh, looking at the wreckage, um, it I think the L.A. County uh, deputy said it best. You know, it's a, sort of a marvel of modern vehicle safety uh, features that allow someone to survive a crash that otherwise would be would have been fatal. You still think he is the face of golf? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if you were to say is who's the face of golf, I, I, I don't. I don't think you could make an argument for someone other than than Tiger Woods. Uh, you know, he's he's certainly done more um, for the game and, and, and especially been more successful and and uh, popularized the game more than anyone since probably Arnold Palmer in the '60s when TV first started showing golf. So, yeah, I, I think Tiger's still the face of golf. So of everything you've heard and everything you've read, when will the face of golf be back on a golf course? Because it doesn't sound like it'll be any time soon of what they're talking about with his right leg. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like it was you know, specifically the right leg and uh, maybe both legs a bit. Um, there were, you know, we learned some words, right? <laughs> learned, you know, he, basically it's the shin bone and the bone that goes around the calf, so it's all below his knee, uh, the, around the fibula and tibula, uh, tibia. And then, um, you know, this, uh, I can't even remember the name of the word they used, but it's basically, it was, it was broken multiple times. Um, so, you know, I think most people just say shattered, but there was a more um, a technical term for that. And, and then there was also a compound uh, fractures. So it was breaking the skin. So it was pretty bad. Uh, I mean, this is, this is nasty stuff. And, um, you know, I talked to an orthopedic surgeon friend of mine. He'll be joining the show uh, this weekend to talk more in detail, but he expects that, uh, you know, with the rod and the pins and the screws and everything that was done to him that was during the emergency surgery, that he will be able to walk again, that he'll be able to play golf again. And um, I, I asked him kind of a time frame, and, and he said most people would probably be a year, and they'd be happy about it. He said, no one Tiger is probably going to be, you know, six months, uh, and he's going to be back at it. So, um, you know, I asked him if there's still a possibility of uh, infection, like what Alex Smith battled, and he said absolutely. Um, that's that's really something that they'll be watching. So you know, it's not it's not done yet. But um, you know, Tiger has been through a lot. You know, four knee surgeries, five back surgeries, still recovering from the one. So how how did that impact it? You know, certainly a 
a crash like that would have put some some stress on a, on a on an ailing back as well. So you know, I think there's a lot that we still need to to find out, but I think there's definitely hope that we'll see Tiger and and probably you know best case scenario expectations we'll see Tiger back on the golf course at at what level and 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 how good you know I guess that all remains to be seen. But uh, like I said, the, the one thing we know about Tiger is he's he's tough and and he's come back. His body has recovered from a whole lot. We saw a great outpouring by, obviously, former pros and current touring pros. What is his standing amongst his peers as far as, obviously, they respect him, but I'm talking about liking him. Yeah, that's a good one, BK, because I think that uh, in the beginning, uh, I think Tiger was a bit of a recluse. You know, he was uh, an intimidating figure out there that was really focused on himself and and, and breaking um, – records you know and doing things that others hadn't done before and you know and uh i think a a lot of his you know 15th club in the bag was you know the way he went about his work uh, on the golf course and not only did he involve the fans in in that intimidation you know getting them roaring and the fist pumps and you know just sort of overpowering a golf course and and winning at a clip that that we hadn't seen before um, and that didn't take a lot of friends. He didn't take a lot of friends with him. I mean, Marco Mero was about his only notable friend out there. I mean, he got to be pretty good buddies with Fred Couples as, as time went on. But, you know, you didn't hear about him palling around with a lot of the guys. And um, that's that's certainly changed in the last few years. Uh, you know, I mean, Tiger's gone through a lot, you know, off the golf course as well. And he's he's reached out, you know, and to the younger players, the, the Ricky Fowlers, Justin Thomases you know, those types of, of guys. And, and he's, he's definitely more gregarious now. And I think at, at the 20 plus years that we've covered Tiger Woods out on tour, I think he's probably most well-liked and well-received and more human, I guess, um, uh, friendly to, to others than we've ever known him out there. And I think that's something that he's come to learn and appreciate that, you know, that's, that's a fraternity he wants to be a part of. And at times when he wasn't sure he'd be able to be back out there, I think he missed it. And and, and realized, uh, you know, how much he appreciated the, the gregarious nature of, of the tour. And so he's made an effort. And I don't think he made much of an effort at all in, in the early stages. And maybe that was some of the coaching that, and training that he had from his dad, you know, who was, uh, you know, a former Marine and, and that type of thing. So um, there's, it's interesting to see the evolution. And, and lately you've hear, heard more comments from Tiger about, you know, how he's just enjoying the chance to be around his family and watch his kids grow up and play ball with his kids. And, and then most recently, we saw him in December before this latest back surgery playing golf with his son, Charlie, at the father-son, and, and that meant a ton to him. And so all those things are, are evolutions, you know, in his career to where he's accepting the fact that he's not uh, at, at the elite level he once was, that there'll still maybe be flashes and moments where he'll bust out and win, and win again. Um, but he's going to appreciate the time that he that he has and the opportunity that he has out there, and maybe relish a little bit about the career that he that he was able to put together. So when he was number one, and he had the intimidation factor, and it was useful, the only relationships he really built were with guys like O'Meara and Couples, who were from a generation previous, and they knew they weren't battling for number one anymore. But now the Tigers not battling for number one, as you say, it's more about flashes and that week when everything comes together. Now he can afford those relationships and doesn't cost him a chance to win the way it did, or it might have early on. Why give yeah, up the intimidation factor? Right, I think there's something to that. I think that you know Tiger was 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 trained and programmed to you know win at all costs. I I shared this story last night. I'll just just briefly I had a chance to visit with him in 2005 after we just found out he had a knee surgery and 
And I asked him, um, you know, in a private setting, I'm like, how, how could you go out and play like that without letting anybody know that you were, you know, that you were hurt to the point where you were going to require knee surgery? And he gave me this steely stare. This is like in 2005, I think. He gave me this steely stare and he says, never let your, your competition know you're hurt. To hell with them. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm just asking the question. I'm not, I'm out, not out one of your, it literally was like a death stare. And uh, I just caught a little glimpse of that killer instinct that the tiger had. And, and I remember kind of chuckling to Bob later, like, you know, Phil Mickelson doesn't have that. And uh, that was, uh, they were the two rivals back in the day. And, and uh, anyway, it was just interesting. It was, it was a little brief insight and I can't claim to have a lot, but that was one of those little brief insights to what I saw out of a out of a competitor that just wanted to win at all costs and I think that that was Tiger for most of his career. All right, uh, an uncomfortable question, does Tony Finau have that? Uh, that is an uncomfortable question. Um God, you know, um I I mean Tony is way nicer than Tiger. <laughs> Let's just say it, right? I mean, right, Tony is right. a, is a go go ahead. No, I'm agreeing with you. I agree oh, with you, yes. Brian. Yeah, yeah. He's like he is like there's 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 you, it'd be tough to find a nicer guy in or out of sports than Tony Fina and genuine, not not just when the cameras are on or or anything genuine. Um, does he have the ability to just step on a guy's throat? I think that that's something that we debate. I, I have no question that you that he has that burning inside him. Um, he doesn't have the um, outward demonstrative displays that you might see out of some athletes. Like, I mean, John Rahm and he are good friends on tour and Rahm is the opposite, right? I mean, I think Rahm's a great guy too. Nice person, but he is like, boy, he has his, his, you know, he lets it out. Right. And you know, when he's upset or, or things aren't going well. And, and Tony is, has done a really good job of holding it in. I don't, I don't want to be critical of a guy like that. In fact, I think it's more impressive that if somebody competing at that highest level, he has to have that burning inside of him. And for him to be able to control his emotions and always have perspective, regardless of the outcome, I think that is, that is a, a high-quality trait in somebody and not something to, to um, criticize him for not showing that type of anger or emotion when it doesn't go his way. So it's hard for me to say on an outward scale that Tony doesn't have it. He doesn't seem to display it the same way as a Tiger Woods or, like as I just mentioned, to John Rahm. But I'm not so sure that means it's a weakness or that he can't win. I, I, I think he's got the talent, and, and I think he has um, the ability to, to close things out on Sunday. And it's just it's a bit of a pro, you know, progression. And sometimes, I mean, we look at a David Duvall. It took him a long time. It took Phil a long time to win majors, you know, even though he was winning other tournaments at a high clip. So um, we'll, we'll see. I guess I'm not, not ready to say he doesn't have that. I, I will say that I don't think very many people have what Tiger had or has, you know, I, I think that's pretty unique and comes, you know, Tiger's a once in a generational type of athlete, you know, for our sport. And, and I don't, I just, I don't think comparing anything of Tiger to anybody in particular is probably a fair comparison. Well, I'd agree with that last point. I would say there's absolutely no chance that Tony Finau has what Tiger has. It's not even remotely close, but to your point, so few people have what Tiger has. I mean, it's literally a handful across multiple sports. So I'd compare. I'd take PK's question, but I'd phrase: Does does Tony have what say Phil has? Because while Phil pales in comparison to the attitude Tiger walked around with, Phil does have a little bit of that, and we see it even now when it's a fun event and they're mic'd up. Like Phil's a world class trash talker. 
So he's got a little bit of that, or he wouldn't pop off and say the stuff he does. The stuff he says is hilarious for PK and I sitting in front of our TVs watching it. It's like, okay, that's a funny line. But he's still got a little bit of that in a competitive times, and it did take him a while to win major championships and figure it out. So I guess the question is, is Tony on the path to win championships and figure it out? Maybe not win to the level Phil did, because Phil's still at certainly a top 20 and maybe a top 10 golfer all time. But to get one or two majors and to get 10 tour wins, I guess that's the level I'm wondering if Tony can get to. Because I think he has the talent to get to that level, and he's still got the time to get to that level, but he's got to get going. And when he's standing over a putt like he stood over on uh, the first playoff hole in L.A., you don't have to be a bad guy. You just got to make that putt. And if you make the putt, you win the tournament. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're spot on, right? I mean, he had a, about a six-and-a-half-footer to close it out. And you know what? Great champions do that. They take it, they seize the moment, and they make it happen. Um, I mean, you know, even Max Homa. So those are two guys that were in a playoff that were both searching for their, their second PGA Tour win. I don't think there's anyone out there that would suggest that Max Homa, who now has twice as many Tour wins as Tony Finau, was the more superior golfer in that playoff. I think everyone recognizes Tony's talent and, and that they expected him to win. And so when he doesn't, it's, it's tough, right? And um, so there, there's some things that he's going to have to learn. I mean, on, uh, you know, making that putt when you're given the opportunity. Max Homa missed a little bunny on the 72nd hole or there wouldn't have even been a playoff. So, you know, he was able to dig deep, come back, find a way, find a shot off of that tree, you know, make a par, move on, and win. And those are the kind of things that Tony's still working through. I mean, clearly, he's got to be able to do that. And But but you can't knock the guy for shooting a, a, a tournament, you know, uh, weekly, you know, the tournament low score for the week in the final round to chase him down and, and just not get it done. But when you're teeing off first in a playoff, um, you know, hit the middle of the green. Put the pressure on the guy behind you to have to hit the green on that par three instead of going at the flag and having to draw a little too much and finding the bunker short side. I mean, those are those are some things that you're going to – yeah, you have to break that down and put that in your bag and, and figure out how to overcome those so that when you do get opportunities to win, you know, you, let's go back to the Masters. He's in the final group. He's matching Tiger shot for shot till he gets to 12, and he hits a chip cut nine iron to a right flag. And with that win, you do not cut to that flag on, on 12, on sun, to the Sunday flag. You don't do it. If you saw what Tiger did, he took it straight over the bunker. You know, those are some things that you just have to learn in certain situations when to press and when not to press. So um, do I think he can get to 10 wins on tour and, and win three or three majors? I, I still do. Like you said, DJ, he's got time. He's got the talent. Uh, I think he just has to put that last little combination of, you know, how to close out tournaments. And, uh, and I, I think he definitely has it, I, and I expect him to do it. And at the same time, it was disappointing. I mean, this guy's got everybody in the state rooting for him and probably every Polynesian who's ever been born or yet to be born or has been born in a great beyond. So he's got, in terms of popularity, it literally is off the charts. Uh, so with that in mind, He's not going to be defined by missing a putt at the L.A. Open, nor is he going to be defined by winning the L.A. Open. For him, as you say, there's much bigger stuff out there. So that's why 
I I didn't really sweat it that he didn't make that putt. It's not like he doesn't want to win. I get all that. But the LA Open, it's nice to have. But you look at somebody like Kepka, who I brought up the other, I think on Monday, mm-hmm. that I, I think on the, on the tour he only really, I think it was like a, he, he only has eight wins. He's got some other wins in the European Tour and whatnot. But on the PJ Tour, he's got eight wins. But four of them are majors, right? So he stands out. So I think that. That's the goal, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I want to get your response to it. Going forward here, I would have been way more dismayed if that's in six weeks in Augusta when he misses that, what you labeled the six-and-a-half-footer, than the L.A. Open. I, I want to know, as far as the mindset, to be able to do it then, because I think that's what's going to define Finau in 10 years or so as he ages out of it. And gets closer to the senior tour, whatever they call it now. Respond to that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the the major Tiger put Jack, I think even more so, uh, began the, the focus on majors. Tiger followed that up and made the emphasis on major championships. You're, golf, professional golfers, the PGA Tour, um, European Tour, professional golf in general, they're measured tour players are measured by the, the majors, right? That is the measuring stick. And so you're, you're hundred percent right. I mean, Brooks Kepka has got immortality with his, with the way he went on that major street, you know, even if he only has the, the single digit wins. Um, so that, that is where you actually absolutely make your career. So if Tony goes out and wins a couple of majors and those are the only tournaments he ends up winning, um, is that a bigger deal than picking up the LA open in Puerto Rico? hundred percent. Right. I mean, there's not even, that's not even an argument, but you know, I mean, Andy North won two tournaments in his career, and both of them were U.S. Opens. And Andy North doesn't exactly get the same level of respect that, that some of the other players. I would suggest that, you know, um, Tony's had a better career than, than Andy North. And some people, and you could argue that. He's got two U.S. Opens. What, what are we going to say? But um, I, I just think it's um, – I, I think Tony, um, back to your point – uh, he has to have it done in the majors. You know, he's Boyd Summerhays' coach says that he's built for big tournaments. We've seen in his career that, you know, I think the best tournament to yet in his young career back in 2015 was in, uh, was in Washington at the PGA Championship, or the U.S. Open there at Chambers Bay. You know, and it was a big golf course. It was a tough golf course, and Tony played the best that he'd played there. And we've started to see that over and over uh, where he, you know, the bigger the course, the bigger the tournament, it seems to be the better Tony plays. And, you know, we saw him in contention at Shinnecock, you know, when Brooks ended up beating him there. And, you know, he just he, – he keeps putting himself there. And I have to think a, a, a player that's able to continue to put himself there is going to be able to break through and win one there. Now, it's, it's an interesting study. I'm not a sports psychologist, but you can go back. And, and one of the interesting things about Brooks Kepka, he went, a, he went a tough route. He went over to the European Tour, and it was basically the European Challenge Tour, like the, the Web.com Corn Ferry Tour of the European Tour. And he went over there, and he got some wins. And that boosted him up to the European Tour, and he got some wins, and he got into some world ranking points, which got him into some PGA Tour events. So he did it winning. Now, Tony turned pro real early uh, as a teenager and you know, didn't get a chance to play college golf. And, and a lot of the things that Bob talked about on our show is this progress of winning, when you win at all levels, you know, and, and just understanding how to win. And I guess the one thing you could say is Tony hasn't had that per se, you know, the way some of the other guys have done. I mean, you look at Tiger's career, he dominated junior golf, he dominated at Stanford in college golf, and then he immediately went out and dominated tour golf. Now, again, Tiger's obviously, as we've, as we've established, is, is not like any other player, but that's the one thing that maybe Tony's resume doesn't have is a long history of winning 
at those various levels. And so, you know, maybe that's just a, a little hump that he's got to get over. But I can't. I don't think you can find anybody out there that feels like once he gets the one, it's going to open the floodgates. And and because uh, Tony's such a different player than he was from Puerto Rico years ago, and and I think there's a lot still to be had for Tony. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's those are the thoughts that come to mind. Well, we appreciate a few minutes, as always. Real Golf Radio coming up on uh, Saturday morning, every week, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Taylor, join us, and he and Bob Casper will be here on Saturday. Brian, thanks for a few minutes to talk a little Tony, because a lot of people are really invested in him. Boy, you can just see it on Twitter. It's like, come on, Tony, do it. It's a lot harder to, to, to watch golf when you're rooting for somebody than when you're just watching it play through, that's for sure. So yeah. we're all wishing Tony the best, man. All right, thanks, Brian. You got it. There's Brian Taylor, and you hear him and Bob Casper Saturday morning's Real Golf Radio. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's time for the best of the Jazz postgame show as the Jazz blow out the Lakers. Here's Jake Scott. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz beat the Lakers 114 to 89. They moved to 26 and 6 on the season. They are now five game, uh, games better than the Lakers in the loss column. Quite the cushion as the second half uh, schedule was released yesterday. Uh, but the Jazz really came out a competitive game in the first quarter. The Jazz really poured it on in the second quarter, making a bunch of threes and then basically ended the game in the third and uh, obviously pulled away to a big time victory in the fourth. The Jazz had six players in double figures. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy, or excuse me, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, very close to triple doubles. Donovan, 13 points, 10 boards, 8 assists. Mike Conley, 14 points, 8 boards, and 8 assists. So, big time uh, win for the Utah Jazz. Let's uh, get started with some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach, Quinn Snyder. We'll get started with Tony Jones, the athletic. Coach, is there anything that you guys can take away from this game long term? Um, you know, obviously, you know, they didn't have AD or Dennis. Um, you know, we're, we're aware of that. Um, you know, they're, they're the defending champs, one of the best teams in the league. You know, and as I've said, you know, our focus really, Tony, is just on trying to get better, um, no matter who we're playing against um, or what the situation. So um, those are the things that we want to we want to try to take with us. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, I apologize that this question isn't uh, germane to tonight's game specifically, but I have to ask. Derek, can you excuse me one second? Derek, can you have him? Just a little. Post game workouts. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry, Quinn. Uh, this no. Game- this question isn't relevant to tonight's game specifically. Uh, before the game, Elijah Millsap tweeted out an allegation that uh, at his exit interview six years ago, uh, Dennis issued a bigoted statement towards him. 
in a meeting that you were present at, uh, threatening to, quote, send his black ass back to Louisiana. I was just wondering if you recalled such an incident or, or what your comment was on that. Well, I think Dennis, you know, addressed that. Um, you know, and honestly, I, I don't remember the, the conversation, um, but I, I'd be I'd be shocked if I can't fathom Dennis saying something like that. Chris and Kenny, Joss TV. Coach Donovan's told us before that he doesn't think about if he's one of 11. He just focuses on doing other things to impact the game. We saw that tonight. Uh, how would you describe just the growth that you've seen from him? Well, first, I, I thought when you said one of 11, I thought you were going to say one of 14 or however many we have on our roster because, um, you know, I, I think that's how he sees himself. And, and that goes to your question um, that Donovan's about trying to win. Um, obviously, wanted to play well. There's lots of ways to play well. Um, he's two assists short of a triple-double tonight. Um, so if you want to look at the box score, I'm looking at eight assists and 10 rebounds um, more than I am, you know, what he shot from the field. So I, I thought he did a lot of things tonight to help us win. Um, you know, he and Mike both, for those guys to have the kind of game um, that they did, you know, rarely do you have two players that are, you know, that close to having a triple-double type night. And we had that tonight. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Quinn, when you think back on when you've played teams like the Warriors that had a really strong identity, why is it so hard when you know what they're going to do to prevent them from doing any of it? Because it seems like that's what teams are struggling with you. Um, you know, as the season goes on, um, you know, first of all, we, we've had, you know, obviously teams that have taken things away from us. Um, I think, you know, the, the thing that we've talked about is, is really to take what the defense gives us, you know, so on any given night, um, you know, the emphasis is on, you know, guys reading the situation, reading coverages. Um, and I think our team understands that, you know, there's games where um, Rudy and Fabe spend the majority of the night rolling and running and offensive rebounding. And those things don't always show up in the stat sheet. And then there's other times when, you know, people are staying with shooters and, and those opportunities to score are, are there more for them. So, um, you know, I think the, the fact that we have, you know, a lot of guys that are capable of making plays um, and that our, our team, you know, likes to play that way. Um, you know, that's part of who we are and part of our identity. And, and hopefully we can do that, um, you know, regardless of what we're seeing. But obviously uh, there's there's teams, there's excellent teams, excellent coaches in the league. And people are going to try to take things away. And, you know, we have to fight to try to get you know, the things we want in the game. There's Quinn Snyder. His team wins over the Lakers 114-89. to Did have some comments on a controversial tweet from Elijah Millsap that came out an hour before the game. I'm sure there'll be more conversation about that as uh, the day goes forward. Dennis Lindsay denying uh, he made those comments to Elijah Millsap. Den- uh, Quinn Snyder saying he does not specifically remember but cannot fathom Dennis Lindsay saying those things. Let's, uh, let's move on to the players. Uh, let's now hear from Donovan Mitchell. All right, we'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Yep. Hey, John, how bad did you want that, those last two assists tonight? I can honestly say that, you know, 
it was if it was meant to happen, it was meant to happen. I went out there, you know, to try to make the play. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. But you know, I was a little more aware of it this time than the Indiana game. I'll say that. Tony Jones, the Athletic. Donovan, was it important for you guys to to um, without Anthony Davis and and Donovan Mitchell? To, I mean, and Dennis Schroeder to kind of build a um, you know a margin for error. Um, you know, just in terms of being able to win comfortably, you know, just for when those guys come back, because you know, those games are going to be so close and so hotly contested. Yeah. I think, you know, you remember the uh, Brooklyn game when um, KD was out, you know, obviously Kyrie played, but the, the biggest thing was like, you know, the other guys on that team, you know, their level rose, you know, there's been a few instances where guys have been out and the guys, you know, levels just rise, you know, who don't necessarily get certain shots because they rightfully so go to Anthony Davis or Dennis Schroeder or whatever. So, you know, we came into this game like, look, we understand that, you know, they still have LeBron over there, but there's going to be guys, you know, whether it's Taylor Horton Tucker, Kuz, Caruso, like guys are going to be more aggressive. So we just want to continue to keep the same mindset and focus as if they were out there. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, there were, everybody's coming for us, you know, and I think the biggest thing, the best thing about this game was we continue to keep our foot on the gas, you know, every step of the way. Um, there wasn't a moment in the game where it was like, okay, like we kind of played like we were up. And I think that was something that was impressive. You know, obviously the ball moving, the defense was great, but our relentlessness, our relentlessness, you know, I think was something that, you know, we can applaud ourselves for, but continue to build off of and look to games like this, where there may be games where guys, stars may be out or whatever, you know, and look to see how we continue to play, you know, for the full 48. Chris and Kenny, Joss TV. Rarely do you have in a game two guys who are so close to triple doubles, you and Mike. Um, talking about Mike, just how would you describe just what the little things that this guy does? I mean, we, we talk about it night in and night out. And, you know, I mean, what's left to say about him? <laughs> I mean, he tried to run a play for me to start the game when he just made three threes in a row, when the play for him to shoot a three. And I'm like, bro, like, stop, like, shoot it. Like, you know what I mean? And I think – you know, that in itself is just a, a great example of just him, you know, as a person, he could have easily, he had like seven or eight in the first, you know, however many minutes, you know, um, and I told him, I said, you could have easily just went for 30, you know, but he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it, do it his way, which is, you know, team basketball, team oriented. And, you know, when you have a guy like that, you know, that I can play alongside and, and I sit next to him in the locker room, I talk to him all the time, whatever, you know, that just rubs off on not just me, but everybody, you know, and I think that's something that's really, really stands out, you know, because, not a lot of guys are like that, you know, and I think for him to, to, to continue to play, you know, like himself, you know, regardless of, you know, the all-star thing, you know, he could have easily went out there and said, I'm going to shoot and show uh, that I'm this, you know, and he continued to play his way in his, his basketball, which is helping the team. And, you know, that's the sense of one maturity and, you know, selflessness. And I think that just stands out, you know, with Mike where uh, throughout his entire career. John Kuhn, AP. Donovan, how, how gratifying is it to be able to impact other areas of the box score uh, on a night where your, your shot didn't fall early and you, you were still able to get in there and get rebounds and, and get assists and get steals? Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is understanding that, you know, the shot's not going to fall every night. You know, there are going to be times, you know, I missed a lot of easy ones. You know, sometimes you just got to chalk it up to, you know, it not going in, you know, but – you know, it's uh, I look at this game as kind of similar to the uh, Denver game, you know, last year when I made all star and I wasn't I didn't score. I think at one point or whatever, but I didn't do anything else. 
You know what I mean? So like for me, it was like, okay, how do I find ways to continue to make an impact? You know, how do I help my team, you know, in other ways, you know, hustle plays, the defense, uh, passing the ball. You know, I think that's, that's the, the sense of, that's the, the maturity that I'm trying to continue to have throughout my, my career. And I think tonight was a, an example of that. Um, I feel like I can, you know, continue to build off that, you know, the shot's going to fall, you know, there's, I took shots that I'm comfortable with, you know, I could say maybe two I didn't, I didn't like, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, continuing to play, like I said, team basketball, but also doing anything necessary, uh, going out there, whether it's, like I said, uh, defense, assist, rebounds, steals, whatever it may be, uh, just have my, make my presence felt, you know, not just as a scorer. David James, KTV. Donovan, the team had 22 made threes tonight, and ESPN's reporting that's 50 in two games is an NBA record, not a record. Sorry, was a say that again. Say that again. Sorry. NBA, ESPN is reporting tonight that the 50 made three-pointers in the last two games by the Jazz is an NBA record. And the way the ball was moving, it's not a record I was aware of, but the way the ball was moving, even if that's not sustainable, is something close to that sustainable for the rest of the season? Because we've seen games where you didn't take anything close to that or make enough. It's clearly the goal. How much of this is sustainable? Um, I think I think it is sustainable. I think the biggest thing is just the level of concentration. It's not always going to be 23s. It's not always going to be, you know, 50 attempts or 40 attempts, you know, but understanding that, you know, take the looks when they're there. We passed up on a bunch too. You know, that's, that's the, that's the crazy part about that. Um, I think understanding that teams are going to play, some teams are going to run us off the line. Some teams are going to play and scramble. Some teams are going to try and switch. Some teams are going to try and do all these different things. Uh, but the biggest thing is we have to remain consistent in what we do. You know, there are going to be times where, you know, they want us to shoot the mid range and the, the kind of a and kind of guard the line, you know. But in that case, we run something different to get a get a three to get a get to the rim, you know. And understanding that that's we've basically seen every coverage at this point, you know. And now it's a matter of how do we build to get better at each each coverage, you know. And I think that's you know tonight was the past two games. It's been teams that kind of scramble, you know, and um, the Heat or the Heat are doing the same thing. And or I'm not I'm not really sure what Orlando does, but. You know, like that's the biggest thing. How can we adapt from game to game to still get what we want and not let the defense dictate how we play? That was Donovan Mitchell, 13 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Very close to a triple-double. Not Donovan's best shooting night, but still had a very nice night for him. Very uh, unselfish, passing the ball very well. Let's now move on to Rudy Gobert. There's Rudy Gobert, 18 points on 8 of 12 shooting. Rudy also had 9 rebounds uh, to go along with those 18 points. And really, the Lakers uh, shifted their defensive focus in the second half. They hugged the three-point shooters, uh, had a barrage hit on them in the first half, adjusted, and then uh, Rudy feasted. Derek Favors did a nice job, too. He had 12 points and 7 boards coming in off the bench. Let's now hear from Mike Conley. We will get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Mike. So, uh... Donovan told us a few minutes ago that uh, they tried to run some early plays for you and, and you kept trying to set him up instead. And he finally had to tell you to knock it off and, and shoot the ball. Um, just wondering, you know, how you're feeling out there tonight, especially in the wake of, you know, not making the all-star game and, and kind of what that support from your teammates means. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, it's real cool. You know, Donovan is, um, that kind of guy, Rudy, all those guys, um, we care about each other. You know, they obviously know it was a tough day for me, um, as well as also something to celebrate for them. So, um, you know, coming out to that tonight, I just, you know, I honestly it was just, a, just playing the way that I felt I've been playing. And, 
um, just with a little bit, a little bit more um, motivation, you know, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how my career has been. And um, I'm thankful to have the teammates I have and the coaching staff and uh, support around me to just, you know, keep me, keep me locked in and focused on what we're doing. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, Mike, just what was your reaction when you, you know, learned the alternate bid and then also, you know, kind of getting passed over again when the commissioners, with the commissioner's decision today? Um, man, it was, it was tough. You know, I really, uh, I really, really thought, um, you know, this was, this was the year, you know, I've joked with the guys on the team that I blame them. We should have started the year 31 and 0. Um, maybe that would have gave me a better chance, but I don't know what else, uh, you know, what else to do, you know, when you know, I was telling them it's hard for us because a lot of these games we've played, we've, we've won by, you know, a lot, you know, double, double digits. So, you know, you're not normally playing late in the fourth quarter and stuff like that. So we're just, you know, as far as statistics and things like our team is that good right now. And we've got such balance across the board and um, it's, it's frustrating to not get three in, whether it's me, JC or anybody, um, who's deserving of it for, for what we're doing uh, around the league right now. Uh, you know, we're making history in so many different ways and and we should have been rewarded for that. I'm curious because you, you, you know, you had a good situation in Memphis before, but you've been around the league enough that you know that not every team is, is that ball sharing and, you know, that kind of unselfish with it. How different is this situation than, than other situations you hear about in the league and, and how unique is it really kind of from the inside? Uh, it's really unique. You know, it's really unique to have, to have, you know, the whole team buy in to an idea and to a, a, a style of play um, into a, a you know team buying in on sacrificing for each other and you know you've got a lot of guys on this team that that can go and average twenty points a game um, for a season, but yet you know we see guys on a nightly basis. You know it could be J- JC one night, it could be Don, it could be Rudy, Boyan, you know Royce, anybody steps up to the plate and and for us to just you know kind of feed off of whoever it is that night is, is special and. Um, and we've really bought into to being unselfish and getting excited for the next guy. And you don't find that, you know, rarely around the league. Um, you know, since I've been around the league, do you find teams or go up against teams like that? Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. I want to talk a little bit about Donovan um, on a night like tonight when he's struggling to find the net. He just never quits. He continues to play with so much force and does whatever it takes to help this team. Um, what do you see there? What is that like to to witness and be a part of, of that? Yeah, I mean, that's just growth. The growth of Donovan Mitchell, man. He's you know, he's a guy that we, we count on night on a nightly basis to, you know, do what he does and be and stay aggressive and for him not to have his shot fall early in the game, but to continue to facilitate, continue to get rebounds, continue to play defense. Um, you know, all those things will, will take him a long way, you know, because there's going to be games where he, he has a slow start and then ends up with 30 points and, and you know, a game winner. So um, he has to keep that same aggressive mindset as he goes through uh, this season in his career. And um, I think he's just getting better at it. 
There you go. Mike Conley, 14 points, 8 assists, 8 rebounds. And you can tell he's bummed. Uh, he didn't make the All-Star game. Thought he had a chance at it. Uh, obviously, have, is having a really nice year and uh, disappointed that he didn't get that. But still, you can tell he's uh, appreciating playing on this team and having a great time doing it. Let's wrap things up with uh, and hear from LeBron James. Okay. Uh, Mike Trudeau, please. Hey, LeBron. Frank was talking about the continuity of Utah and benefiting them. And I just wondered if you've seen them evolve on offense to the point where they're taking, I think, seven more threes this year from last year. Uh, and if, you know, with the same roster and all that, is there, is that, how does that impact the way that you guys need to defend them? Um, I think, yeah, yeah. They came back with the same roster. But I think what I noticed more than anything is those guys are they're fully healthy. Um, I think Mike Conley is back to himself, um, fully healthy, moving. You can see the way he's moving um, out there on the floor. And, uh, and it's trickled down to everybody else, you know. So, um, you know, they're playing some really good balls, a really good team. Yeah, Markeith was just talking about the kind of managing through mental fatigue uh, and and how that's been something that's important. This team needs to go through some struggles. You know, last year's team had the four-year lose uh, four-game losing streak in December and then bounced back. Uh, you've talked about this extensively this year, but how do you lead through that that way with teammates that are trying to find themselves and, and trying to do a little bit more with AD out? Yeah, it's just a it's challenging for all of us, um, you know, especially for some of our young guys, some of our guys that haven't been in this position before where they need to uh, do a little bit more than, you know, what they're asked in, in a normal situation. Uh, you know, and, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, you know just, just speaking about AD, and obviously that's a big hit, but we also haven't had Dennis along the stretch for a few games too. He's a big piece of our of our, of our puzzle as well. So, um, you know, and everyone has, uh, you know, been, been put in positions that they, you know, wouldn't be put in under normal circumstances. But, you know, um, it's always about staying confident, uh, continue to give my teammates the, the courage and, and the confidence out there on the floor and uh, to make plays. And, uh, you know, it's a tough stress for us, but, um, you know, if, uh, you know, this won't uh, define who we will be for the rest of the season and, and for the for the long haul, that's for sure. Okay, Kyle, then please. Hey, LeBron. Um, obviously, the most pressing thing is, is not having your two best players, but Arkeef was saying that, um, you know, early on in the season, you guys were winning on talent a lot. Um, do you think that sort of the gap that you guys have and you're at full strength um, maybe is contributing a little bit to some of the struggles you're having now as a team mentally uh, when you're trying to carry on without those guys? Um, well, obviously, we all got to do a better job, of, you know, in our own individual self and that will carry on to the team and, uh, you know, and, and pick up in the in, in 80s and Dennis, um, you know, absence. Um, you know, we just hit a rough patch, you know, and it happens throughout the course of a season. Um, you know, you don't want it to happen, but when it does, you know, I think it defines character. It, it challenges you and, you know, you just uh, get ready for the bounce back. So uh, you learn from tonight, uh, learn from the previous games and then get ready for the next one. Okay. Dave McMenamin. Hey, LeBron, you've mentioned the uh, the term or the phrase being comfortable, uh, being uncomfortable in, in the past. Is that type of uh, time uh, that you go through, does it allow you to, to learn teammates better or, or see a different side of them? Especially you, you, you basically have, you know, four new guys uh, on this team, five new guys in the rotation. Uh, and can that help down the line? No, absolutely. Um, you know, always the best teacher in life is experience. And, um, you know, and for us to be going through this right now, I think it's going to benefit our team tremendously. Okay, Dan Wilkie, please. LeBron, as a group, um, really since February, the team has not shot the ball well. Um, 
how demoralizing is that or have you have you sensed that that's a, like an on court demoralizer these games where you guys are 20%, 24%, stuff like that. And and what's it going to take to shake out of it? Yeah, obviously, you know, we, we know we need to – we have to make shots on the perimeter. Um, it's that simple. Um, and we know that. And, you know, but we can't put more added pressure on ourselves. Like, I'm not – me personally, I know I haven't shot the ball, uh, you know, as I did as the you know, first 20 games of the season. But I haven't put more added pressure on myself because I know I put the work in. So, you know, all my teammates do the same. Don't put too much added pressure on them, on themselves. Uh, when you put the work in, you know, I think you, you, you live with the results. But, you know, we, we have to make some, you know, um, some shots from the, from the exterior. You know, we're, we're really good in the paint. Uh, we do a good job with that. But, um, you know, we're not making threes. Uh, we're not getting to the free throw line. And, um, you know, it's been very difficult on our team, you know, to score. Okay. Well, just one last question. Sarah? Hey, LeBron. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, experience is the best teacher. How much of this is just trying to repeat in the NBA and, uh, is there anything you can take from those pre- previous uh, experiences trying to do that? No, I think every 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 experience is its own challenge. I mean, you you can always uh, you know you can you can grab certain things from certain moments and things that you know through that nature, things that uh, that you've had in, you know in your career and you know, different obstacles that you have. But you know, every every year is its own challenge, and um, you know and. Um, you know, there will be crowned uh, a champion this year, um, and, and who we need to we, we want to be a part of that. We, we hope that we're crowned uh, the champion, but we like to put in the work. And, I, and I'm, all, I'm always about you know the process and uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, and, and everything that comes with it. So, um, you know, you can gain some experience from in the previous year, but you know, this year is its own challenge, and uh, we take a full we take a full strength and uh, and uh, and then try to get healthy and get ready to, uh, to play the, you know the game of basketball how we. Uh, grown accustomed to playing here with the Lakers. There's LeBron. Uh, LeBron only 19 points, 7 to 13 shooting, 4 rebounds, uh, 4 assists. Had a bunch of nice things to say about how the Jazz are playing and uh, specifically about Mike Conley as well. But the Jazz winners, 114 to 89 over the Lakers. Up next tomorrow night, the Jazz on the road in Miami to take on the Heat. That game will tip off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.